Hello, you are listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This Advent and Christmastide, we are going to consider together the great O Antiphons. We know them today in the famous hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, but they date back as far as the 6th century and by the time of the 8th century were widely used in the liturgies of the seven days that led up to Christmas as sort of an Advent within Advent. Each verse highlights for us part of what we long for in the first and second coming of Jesus, and therefore part of what we are given in the gift of Jesus. It's our hope that these sermons will both help you prepare for and to celebrate the gift of Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining with us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord, we're thankful for this, that you come uh, for us. You come down and you are with us. You are Emmanuel, God in the flesh, with his creation. Uh, What wonder. God, we do again pray this morning, as we prayed last night, that you lift our hearts in awe and wonder and delight in this good news, this gospel news, God with us, Christ among us. We pray this in his precious name. All right, I have a poem that I want to read to you. It's, uh, it's sort of longer. Um, it's called Christmas and the Common Birth. Uh, the poet's name is Anne Riddler. Christmas declares the glory of the flesh. And therefore, a European might wish to celebrate it not at midwinter, but in spring. When physical life is strong, when the consent to live is forced even on the young, juice is in the soil, the leaf, the vein, sugar flows to movement in limbs and brain. Also before a birth, nourishing the child, we turn again to the earth with unusual longing to what is rich, wild, substantial. Scents that have been stored and strengthened in apple lofts, the underwash of woods and in barns, drawn through the lengthened root, pungent in cones, while the fir wood stands waiting, the beech wood aspiring, each in a different silence, and breaking out in spring with scent, sight, sound, indivisible in song. Yet if you think again, it is good that Christmas comes at the dark dream of the year that might wish to sleep ever. For birth is a waking, birth is effort and pain. And now at midwinter are the hints, inklings, sodden primrose, honeysuckle greening, that sleep must be broken. To bear new life or learn to live is an exacting joy. The whole self must waken. You cannot predict the way it will happen or or master the responses beforehand. For any birth makes an inconvenient demand. Like all holy things, it is frequently a nuisance, and it needs never end. Freedom it brings. We should welcome release from its long, merciless rehearsal of peace. So Christ comes. At the iron, senseless time comes to force the glory into frozen veins. His warmth wakes. Green life glazed in the pool wakes all calm and crystal trance with the living pains. And each year, 
Seasonal growth is good. Year, that lacking love is a stale story at best. By God's birth, our common birth is holy. Birth is all at Christmas time and holy blessed. I love that poem because she situates the Christmas birth in this world, the earthiness of this world. And says in some ways it's a common birth. It's the common rhythms of life. God here among us. Our O Antiphon Christmas morning is this. O come, desire of nations, bind and won the hearts of all mankind. Bid thou our sad divisions cease and be thyself our king of peace. Uh, the Latin, it's uh, rex gentian, uh, ruler of the nations, desire of the nations. But the idea is that it's common. What we long for in Christ is not something that is unique to one kind of person, but it's spread throughout the world. He is the desire of all mankind. This morning, um, Last night was intended to be a short homily. It was longer even than I had printed out, apparently, if you were here. Um, and this morning's even shorter, but I have one idea, and this is, it's this, that when God comes, he comes for all of it. He's the desire of the nations. There's no one outside of his scope that he's coming for. There's no sort of people, no, sort of, no, no group that you might say, ah, they're not for Jesus. Um, I mentioned couple weeks back that in the genealogy of Jesus that we find in Matthew, actually right before the passage that Amy read for us in Matthew chapter 1, we find there that Matthew highlights that Jesus is from the line of Abraham, and he's from the line of David, and then he, you know, he tra traces it through the deportation and exile and all of that. But one of the things that I mentioned to you is that we're, we're reminded in that, that we're, we're reminded of the promise that God gave to Abraham. And what's his promise to Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12? But that he would bless Abraham and that through his blessing to Abraham, all families of the earth shall be blessed. That there's no, certain, there's no, no, no one who's outside of the scope of God's desire. And also there's no one who's outside of the scope of them desiring what God can give, what God alone gives. So what we see in Abraham is that the gift of God is for everyone, all kinds of people. The other thing that we see, though, is this highlight of, of David. Jesus is in the line of David. And what I highlighted for you is that what this means is not just that God is for everyone and his blessing is for everyone, but it is forever. Uh, again and again, we see, as we consider the, the covenant that God makes with David, these kinds of statements. This is from First um, Chronicles. I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish it forever. It's for all people. It's for all time. There's nobody outside of the scope of God's desire, and there's no one who desires anything more than what God gives. What we get in Jesus is a king of peace who's for the world, all of it, this world, this earthy world. God comes for the world, and he comes for all of it. Now, uh, last night, if you were here, I invited you to consider how the Christmas story is presented for us. Very, very clearly, I think, uh, as coming to a world that's so disoriented. It's just messed up in every sort of way you could possibly think. The world is not right, is what we're, we're presented with in the birth narratives of the Gospels. 
Um, and every single detail seems to say this, that the world is not right. It's not just, as I said, uh, the, the fact that there's no room at the inn, uh, but rather that the world is sort of stuffed full, filled up to the brim with broken hearts and division and mocking and all this kind of stuff that we see in the birth narratives. It's sin infested. Its brokenness is felt all throughout. And what I want to consider just quickly this morning is that just as it seems to touch the reality of sin and brokenness and this disorientation touches everyone, so what we have in Jesus coming is Jesus coming for everyone. For all the people that have been touched by this reality of the brokenness of the world. Um, think with me how the old and young are present in the gospel narratives and the birth narratives of Jesus. Luke tells us that Zechariah, remember uh, Jesus' uncle who laughs and is mute for those whole nine months. Um, he tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth were, quote, advanced in years. That's a euphemism for saying they're old. They're old folk. Um, we aren't told actually exactly how old Mary or Joseph are, but we do know fairly well actually um, about the sort of Jewish culture at the time. And we know that most younger women who would have been betrothed, that is not yet married but promised in marriage to someone, would have likely been between the years of, or ages of 12 and 16. I mean, and there's like no question, Mary is a teenager. Oh, kind of weird. Um, but what's presented for us is that what Jesus is doing is he's coming for the old and the young alike. There's not an age that makes you say, ah, Jesus doesn't have what I desire. And that his desire is not for you. Um, Jesus, what we have in the gospel narratives there and in the, in the narratives of the Christ child is that he comes for the old and the young, but he also comes for the rich and the poor. Um, we know, um, now we don't know exactly sort of the, the financial status of Mary and Joseph, but we know that they weren't able to just kind of find where, uh, some nice place to stay when they get into Bethlehem. We know that. And then we also know actually in Paul's book in 2 uh, Corinthians, is that he says that though he was rich, he became poor for your sake. We know that Jesus came to us, as we just sang, lowly. Um, and in Mary's wonderful Magnificat, what, she said, what we see is that the Lord has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And Paul actually uses that word humble in opposition or sort of to juxtapose humble with glorious in, um, in the book of first, or sorry, not in the book of first um, Corinthians, in the book of Philippians. He sort of puts that word humble as opposed to something that's really, really grand. What we know is that Mary and Joseph are from the low place. Um, we also know that the shepherds are there. But we also know that these, these men come from the east, um, which is to say that they had means to travel in a world where basically nobody traveled. These men who came over from the east, they obviously had lots of means. Uh, they had the ear of King Herod. They were somebody. Um, and what did they bring? But they brought the fancy stuff. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What you're supposed to get again in these birth narratives is that God is the God of everyone. The desire of the nations. The old and the young. The poor and the rich. 
And what it seems also is that heaven and earth are both present. Think with me. The angels are there. The heralds of the good news. The angels from God. The star, the things of heaven are actually oriented towards the Christ child, that guiding the Magi there to Jesus. The shepherds are there. A very earthly job. Living out in their fields, watching over their flock by night. And of course, the whole event happens in a manger, which literally would have been probably the first floor of a home. That's most likely where it would have been. And it would have been the place that you would have brought your family animals in so that they wouldn't be mauled by lions and whatnot at night. The thing that you're supposed to understand is that this is a very earthly time and place where they find themselves. And it's earthly people. It's probably smelly. It's earthly. And yet it's also heavenly. What I'm suggesting is that God comes for the old and the young and the rich and the poor. And heaven's there and earth is there and everything. Because there is the desire of the nations. There is Jesus. When God comes, he comes for all of it. Some of you know this, but far, far from being some sort of white Western religion, Christianity has been the most culturally and racially diverse religion the world has ever known from the very beginning. Um, some of you might know this, but it's believed, and, and there's good reason to believe this, that the Apostle Thomas made his way over to India and even all the way to southern India to preach the good news. One of the 12 apostles made his way all the way over there. Some of you know this. This is a beautiful, beautiful story that we have. The chapter before Saul's conversion, you know, Saul becomes Paul, and then he, Paul is known as the apostle to the Gentiles. But before that, one of the deacons, his name is Philip, he actually meets this guy, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch, and he proclaims the good news to him, and he baptizes him there on the road. And an Ethiopian eunuch is an African man who's celibate. I mean, right there, racially and culturally diverse, right from the very beginning, before Paul's even on the scene. And today, Christianity continues to be easily the most racially and culturally diverse religion by far, actually. Nothing comes close. Um, by 2040, uh, it's estimated that 40% of the world's, world's Christians will live in sub-Saharan Africa. 40% sub-Saharan Africa. Um, probably most of you know this. Today, China is still the leading, sort of leading um, country in terms of like glo global atheism. And yet, it's believed that, well, we don't really quite know, because some of these stats are very hard to know because there's so many underground churches in China. But it's believed that right now it may be that China has actually surpassed the United States in terms of how many Christians there are regularly worshiping Jesus. Um, this is pretty interesting. There's a, a sociologist named Fenang Yang. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he's a sociologist of religion, and he believes that China will be majority Christian by the year 2060. But China will have changed that much in that short of time. Um, and here's the thing. Christianity has never just been for sort of the intellectually weak. Many of you know this. I mean, think actually with some of, about some of our greatest theologians of the early church. Men like Athanasius. Um, African. Augustine. African. Um, massive minds. 
um, today. This is still, the tr- still true. Uh, listen to this quote. This is from Russell Coburn. Russell Coburn is a professor of physics at Cambridge University currently. He became a Christian as an adult. He said, science is the description of how God chooses to work most of the time. We know dead people didn't, don't come back to life according to science. And yet Christianity is built on the observation that Jesus came back to life. I'm very happy to say that at, at that special moment, God was acting differently. This man who became a Christian as an adult, who's a professor of physics at the University of Cambridge. What I'm suggesting to you is that this thing that we have presented for us here in the gospel narratives is that Jesus is the desire of all the nations, and that's always been true. People, from him, people have come to him from all different walks of life, the old and the young and the rich and the poor, heaven and earth, the bright and the not so bright. They've come and they've worshipped Jesus. They've seen there that Christ is the child who has come among us, who's given his life for us. What I'm saying is that we've always had this reality that Jesus is the desire of the nations. And the gospel accounts present this as true from the very beginning. Now, I want to end with just a couple quotes for you. One is from one of my favorite authors, uh, Frederick Buechner. He wrote this. Ever since the child was born, there have been people who have gotten drunk on him no less than a man can get drunk on hard liquor. One of the reasons I like Buechner is he makes you go, what are you talking about? This is He goes on. Or if that metaphor seems crude, all the way down the 20 centuries since that child was born, there have been countless different kinds of people who in spirit, who have been grasped by him, caught up into his life, who have found themselves in deep and private ways healed and transformed by their relationship with him. So much so that they simply have no choice but to go on proclaiming what the writers of the Gospels first proclaimed that he was indeed the long-expected one, the Christ, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. All those curious and forbidding terms that Christians keep on using in their attempt to express in language one thing and one thing only, that in this child, in the man he grew up to be, there is the power of God to bring light into our darkness, to make us whole, to give a new kind of life to anybody who turns towards him in faith, even to such as to you and to me. Listen to John Chrysostom. Um, his nickname was Golden Tongue, probably the greatest, certainly considered the greatest preacher of the early church, fourth century. For this he assumed my body, that I may become capable of his word. Taking my flesh, he gives me his spirit. And so he bestowing and I receiving, he prepares for me the treasure of life. He takes my flesh to sanctify me. He gives me his spirit that he may save me. Come then, let us observe the feast. Truly wondrous is the whole chronicle of the nativity. For this day, the ancient slavery is ended, the devil confounded, the demons take to flight, the power of death is broken, paradise is unlocked, the curse is taken away, sin is removed from us, error driven out, truth has been brought back, the speech of kindliness diffused and spreads on every side, a heavenly way of life has been implanted on the earth, angels communicate with men with with men without fear, and men now have, have the speech with angels. 
Why is this? Because God is now on earth and man in heaven. On every side, all things commingle. He became flesh. Brothers and sisters, Christmas declares, as Ann Riddler told us, the glory of the flesh. That God comes for this world that he's made. He comes for us, for you. The old and the young and the rich and the poor. Heaven and earth. Jesus comes to make all things, all things new. Lord, while we do wonder and we're in awe of this. There's no, there's no other religious story like this. There's no, there's no other religion that proclaims this idea. God can be so present with us. God can be so committed to his world that he enters into it. It's not God at a distance. God ambivalent. But God knowing and God caring and God coming. Jesus, we worship you and we adore you for this. We are in awe of you, Lord. That you would come. That you would come for all of it. We thank you, Jesus, for your kind grace and your incarnation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.